Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this podcast is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hayden, welcome so much to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. I, I am too, because you're an awesome human being and I cannot wait for people to hear what you're going to be talking about today. So uh, before we go into what you're not sorry for, tell us a little bit about yourself. Totally. So I work as a success coach. So that means that I work with people who are feeling stuck and unfulfilled in their work, usually in corporate. uh, And I work with them to help them take next steps into creating a life where they get paid to be themselves. Usually that's entrepreneurship, but it could also be nonprofit. It could be another corporate job. But the thing that I really care most about is supporting people in creating an experience of life externally that's a direct reflection of who they are uh, internally. Um, and I used to work in corporate, uh, like Emily mentioned. I worked at LinkedIn um, for uh, for a couple of years, both in San Francisco and then here in Chicago. Left my full-time job about three years ago and have been doing coaching and training since then. Yes. And you're so amazing at it too, because the thing that I love the most is you're so genuine with it. Like you really care and you know, not that LinkedIn was a bad place to work, but the pressure of it. And whenever you're not walking in your purpose. Bingo. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, you know, the thing that I, that drives me a lot of the time is how do I bring more of myself into my life and how do I ensure that the work that I'm doing is having the greatest positive impact? Um, and you can do it in a corporate role. I think you totally can, but um, it just it just wasn't the path for me. And I find that in what I'm up to now, I have a lot more freedom and flexibility to be able to start things that I think would be of value to people and, you know, to be able to share myself um, online in a way that I might not be able to, or might feel afraid to, if I was working for um, someone else. But I think you're spot on like that, that kind of fulfillment and that kind of impact and that kind of authenticity is really important to me. And it's definitely something that I try and role model, um, you know, both in my businesses and also with people that I work with. Mm -hmm. And I think that leads into what you're not sorry for. So Hayden, you can tell the world. What are you not sorry for? Yeah. So this has been really, I'm actually like really, I've been really excited to talk about this. Um, So I'm not sorry for being powerfully kind. And it's something that really just like this year has become super clear to me that I think that sometimes there's this uh, perceived difference or delineation between what it means to be powerful and what it means to be kind. Um, And I have started to put together uh, as a sidebar, I've started to put together a a group coaching program for people who struggle with people pleasing. And I find that people who are people pleasers tend to fall on the kind side of the spectrum, so to speak. Um, And they have a hard time being powerful. So they have a hard time owning their voice. They have a hard time asking for what they want. They have a hard time setting boundaries. 
stories. Uh, and then you think about the flip side with the people who are really powerful, but they don't bring a whole lot of kindness. So there's a lot of control. There's a lot of uh, assertiveness. There's a lot of aggressiveness. There's great things to it. And, you know, there's some downsides to it. Um, but I think that there's been this idea that you can't be both at the same time. Um, and you find that people generally fall into one or two of those camps. So especially like with business leaders, you tend to find people who are much more powerful, but not necessarily kind. And then you, you know, you look at people who are in the helping profession, um, teachers, nurses, that sort of thing. And you find people who are really kind, but maybe not necessarily as powerful as they could be. And so part of what I'm really passionate about and really excited about is like breaking up that myth um, because it's totally a myth. Like you can actually be both of those things at the same time. You can be powerful and own your voice, ask for what you want, lead by example, um, you know, call people forward, call people out, uh, you know, when, when, uh, when they're, they're out of integrity and at the same time, be really kind, be sweet, be vulnerable, be, um, you know, uh, uh, unapologetically loving of other people. Um, and it's not easy. I think that's the hard part is like actually creating both of those things at the same time mm -hmm. requires, most people don't have it naturally, I don't think, but um, it requires a lot of inner work and it requires a lot of healing and it requires a lot of being willing to take a look at the traumas that you've suffered in your life and be willing to like bring them out into the open so that you can talk about them and, and heal from them. Um, but uh, this is exciting to me because it feels like it's a win-win across the board. And I just think about like how companies would change, how countries would change, like literally like how the world would change if people saw this as a possibility and were excited to start to take steps towards creating that for themselves. And I'll say right now that is something that is I'm experiencing in my own life is the conflict whenever you're not powerfully kind. Because my husband has more of a powerful mindset and I'm more of a kind, I'm the people pleaser and I'll sugarcoat mm -hmm. him around and he is straight up honest. Yeah. And so for me, it has been, it's okay to be honest with people. And it's not like I have integrity and I'm honest, but I don't want to hurt people's feelings, you know? And so what ours was a fight that got us to, to me to start being more awakened about, Hey, it's okay to be honest. And that's actually what he needs to hear. Um, yeah. because powerful people need to hear things, how powerful oh. people talk typically. And I didn't yep. know that. I was like, Oh, because I, there was one time we even had a conversation and I'm like, I told you what to do. And he's like, no, you didn't. You said, if I would like to, I'm like, look, is that not the same? Um, so what brought you to this for you yeah. to be like, ah, powerfully kind kind of flows together. Yeah. Um, a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of not getting what I want, uh, a lot of stress and guilt and very heavy emotions. Um, and I say that facetiously, but honestly, it was a lot of just like, um, you know, we have this idea in coaching that there are certain patterns that you live inside of. Mm -hmm. And part of the evolution or the personal growth and development process is starting to bankrupt these patterns. So you actually use them, you lean into them so that uh, you get to a point where you realize they don't work anymore. Um, and I think that this is the opportunity in both of these uh, mm -hmm. circumstances, both in being powerful and in being kind. Um, but for me personally, it was just that I spent so much of my life being so focused on the kind part and being so focused on the nice part that I 
had a very hard time setting boundaries inside of my relationships. And so I spent a lot of time being very resentful of people, which wasn't their fault. It was, it was totally my stuff. Um, being angry, but being angry at myself and not sharing, you know, when I was upset with someone else, um, mm -hmm. not standing my ground, not asking for what I needed, um, you know, not being afraid to take up space, which is, I, th I think, something that a lot of people um, struggle with, because there's this sense that, like, if I take up space, it's going to mean that there's less space for someone else. And so to be nice and kind, I need to make myself as small as, as humanly possible. Um, and I just spent so much time doing that, uh, that I just got to the point where I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm over this. It's like you eat so much of something and you're like, I'm, I'm tired of that. I never want to eat that again. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I feel about people pleasing. I'm like, I've eaten so much of it that I'm like, I'm over it. And now I want to lean into something different because the results that I'm looking to create and the impact that I'm looking to have are not going to come about by me living my entire life based on whether or not I'm going to make someone upset or, or how I'm going to make other people happy or, you know, how I'm going to be uh, subservient to what other people are looking to create or what they want. Like it requires me to step into my leadership and it requires me to step into my power. And that's the cool part about this whole thing is I feel that my purpose is important enough and the impact that I want to have is exciting and, um, uh, important enough for me to be willing to get messy in being powerful. Because if you've never been powerful before, if you don't know what that's like, it's not just going to happen to you. Like, it's not like someone's just going to flip a switch and you're going to be like, okay, I totally get how to be powerful now in my life and set boundaries and say no to people. Like, it's going to require you to like practice and get messy and try things that are really confronting, um, you know, with people that you, that you trust. Uh, and so, yeah, I think to, you know, to answer your question, it was just a lot of personal experience of being, feeling like I was walked over and I wasn't getting what I wanted or what I needed and just being fed up with it and deciding to do something different. And that's so true that as some of the things as a people pleaser, as a recovering people pleaser, that and a perfectionist, of their <laughs> um, it is draining. It really is. And you get to a point, but you have, I think the other fault of it is that a lot of times you can either blame people and it's not blaming yourself, but you have to self-analyze. Are you making some of the things happen the way if it's a reoccurring pattern? And I think one of the eye-opening things for me is <laughs> I used to have the inability to say no and mm -hmm. try to get the power for it yeah. and not having the guilt in it. So talk to people about whenever you are powerful to be kind and how maybe kind people perceive powerful people as arrogant and yeah. um, powerful people may perceive and the opposite is like weakness or something with that, that simple that how do, how do people see each other opposite and how can we see that we're in unity? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Well, it's really funny because I think the thing that I would offer is it's two sides of the same coin. Like both of those things, and this is what people don't realize is like you being a total controlling jerk and being really powerful is manipulation. It is a control technique, just like people pleasing is manipulation and a control technique. And most people don't talk about this. Like people pleasing doesn't get, which is interesting, right? Because people pleasing doesn't get talked about in this way. And I think what ends up happening a lot of times is people relate to people pleasers as like, oh, well, she's just too nice. Or like, oh, you know, she's just, 
you know, he's, he's, uh, he's just really kind and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's almost like this, like infantilizing, like relating to people pleasers as immature and like, oh, it's just kind of a pushover or like whatever it is. And I think that's actually a huge mistake because it removes the responsibility from people who are people pleasing to get responsible for, for the fact that they're, they are manipulative and they are controlling. And I say this as a recovering people pleaser, right? <laughs> but like, you know, you think about people pleasing and it's like, it's all about how do I say the, how do I say the right thing to elicit the response that I want from this person? Mm -hmm. And usually it's, I want this person to like me. And so how do I censor my thoughts or like only share a version of mm -hmm. my thoughts so that I don't make them upset? I don't make them angry. Um, and I can get them to like me. Um, and so, you know, both sides are about control and manipulation. They just show up and they just show up in different ways. And so usually if you're on the people pleasing side of the spectrum, you look at people who are powerful as like, oh, they're jerks. And like, they're just, they're taking, they're selfish. Um, you know, they're taking too much from everyone else. And if you're a powerful, per assertive person, you look at people pleasers and you're like, they're spineless. Like they're, you know, they're a pushover. They're, you know, selfless to, to a, to a, you know, a dangerous degree. Um, and you like get annoyed with people who are you're like, oh, you're too, you're too weak or you're too, you know, you're too kind, like grow a backbone, you know, type of thing. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, right. Like both of them are two, it's two sides of the same coin and it's, it's all like, all of it is just like moving towards the middle. It's just moving moving towards this middle place where it's balanced and you can be powerful when you need to be and you can be kind when you need to be, but ultimately your behavior is not driven by fear and it's not driven by control. It's instead driven by a, a very deeply rooted sense of self-worth um, and love for other people and a willingness to be authentic and um, say the thing that needs to be said, you know, in the moment. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we talk a lot about is to be hot, which is humble, open, and transparent. That's so even what kind of bursts out this unapologetically bold is having those conversations. So talk to people about being hot, humble, open, and transparent while being powerfully kind and how it can take it to a, a different level and dimension, not only in your work, but your also your home and play, like no matter where you're at as a human, how can it take you to the, nether, the next level? So I don't think that becoming more powerful or becoming more kind is possible without honesty, openness, and transparency. Like, I actually don't think that it's possible because what, what happens for people is they are given a certain set of instructions as a child. Like, you are given a script as a child, and it's like, here's how the world works, and here's who you are as a person, and here's how you're going to relate to yourself and to everyone else. And people are given different scripts. I was, di I was given a people-pleasing script, and my mm -hmm. script was stay as small as possible and be nice and be a mediator and get people to like you, and you'll get what you want. Other people are given a different script and it's, you have to be assertive. You have to be a jerk. You have to be very bold and decisive and you have to take the lead. And that's how you're going to get what you want. And so this idea of balancing out towards the middle, it actually requires honesty, openness, and transparency because in order to get clear on what the scripts are in the first place, you have to be willing to look. You actually have to be willing to do the work and sit down and share with people and share with yourself and be radically uh, honest, open, and transparent and say, what are the scripts that are running my life? What are the beliefs that I have? The core, the core pieces of my identity, how, what I believe to be true about the world and what drives my behavior. And what are those things? 
because step one is you have to notice, you have to actually be aware of it. And once you're aware of it, you can then take a look and say, is this serving me? Like, is this actually in service of the person that I want to become and the life that I want to create for myself? And if it's not, then you have to do the work to replace that story, to break up the script and replace the story with something else. But all of that, requires honesty, honesty, openness, and transparency. It requires that vulnerability. Um, because if you don't have those things, all you're going to do is dig your heels in and you're going to stay and you're going to commit more to the script uh-huh. which work. And the crazy part about it is like, and the part of the reason why I'm so passionate about the work that I do is because this is how most people live life. Most people do, don't ever take a look at what are the beliefs that are running my life? Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I believe the things that I believe? Literally just looking. It's just, it's just a question of looking and, and becoming aware. Most people don't do that. And so most people learn how the world operates when they're six or seven and they go all the way to 90 and they literally die having spent their entire life playing out a script that was given to them when they were six or seven. Mm-hmm. And that is a tragedy that is a tragedy because you think about how much more connected, joyful, loving, authentic life is when you break up out of those scripts and how much that has an impact on everything that you do, not just from a work perspective and not just finding a career that's fulfilling where you get paid to be you and you work with people where you, that you really love and you feel like you're making an impact, but also in everything else. That's actually required. It's a requirement to creating more uh, authentic, connected, compassionate relationships with other people. It's requ- it's a requirement to play more. It's a requirement to make more money, earn more money. Like everything that people are looking for is uh, is made possible through being honest, open, and transparent. That's the way. That's the way to go. Oh, I have a huge amen to that, and I don't think I could say it any better. Like it's so true, especially with. how you said it's such a tragedy because I say one of the the saddest things is and I always say it's bad business I wish I didn't have a job sometimes because my job is to help people adults to be less stressed to be more motivated to live better and I feel like if they were taught as children and got the the part of to be able to learn to be able to explore I teach grown children what they should have been taught as kids you know And I even say that to myself, it's like, I'm as a, I act like a child. Some of my things, when I pitch fits and stuff, it's like, okay, trace that back. And I call it you work because it's, it's the work that I need to do to fix you. You know, the only, the only one that you can fix is yourself. So what is some you work that you would recommend for people that are on either side of the coin to get to be powerfully kind? Therapy. (laughs) therapy 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 i think every person that is alive today should go to therapy should go see a therapist um it's really unfortunate that there's so much of a uh mental health stigma and there's so much of a um you know this preconceived notion about what it means about you to go see a therapist um and you know i think the thing that i would offer is like it's, it's not, therapy is not just for people who have had big T trauma, like some sort of abuse or something, you know, terrible that happened to them as children. We actually all have trauma, Mm -hmm. all of us, every single person, because of the, the, 
time and age in which we live, we all grow up and we experience some form of trauma. Um, and so like your life might be great and that's awesome. Um, and there is another level. There's always another level to the amount of like uh, joy, connection, peace, fulfillment, success that you can experience. But it requires, again, getting clear on you know what those scripts are. So I think therapy, first and foremost, go see a therapist. Everyone watching, go see a therapist. Um, and then you know you can take a look at what are the other healing modalities. Um, and it's whatever you feel called or attracted to. Um, coaching is different than therapy, um, but I think coaching can be therapeutic in a sense um, because through the through the process of creating how you want things to go differently it ends up healing how things have gone which is cool um but you know you could also go see someone who does reiki you could go see someone who uh pulls tarot cards you could go see you know like there are all of these you could go you know go see a massage therapist like for real like there's there's so many different ways to get more in touch go to yoga there's so many different ways to like get in touch with you um and it's just a it's just a matter of like picking a direction and like going in that direction consistently over time mm -hmm. no and i love that because literally at five o'clock after this me and my husband we have therapy session we yes. literally are going to and the nice thing, work like, you're in marriage like is your marriage crumbling no it's a preventative approach yeah it took seven years of our marriage to figure out that, hey, we need to actually talk about some things. And it's that powerfully kind discussion that, so we've been in it for what, four or five months. Mm -hmm. I will say it's life-changing. It is absolutely life-changing. So therapy is not, for, and I think that's the biggest point too, that mental health gets such a big stigma on, hey, I'm a proponent for it and I'm open. Like, I love it. I use what is called Regain. It's me mm -hmm. and my we do it together there is also mm -hmm. a better help there's so many different options mm -hmm. and especially right now with online and then coaching what i have found is i if people are resistant to therapy because they're like ah it's something bad about me go yeah. see a coach. like if you change the wording and one is more about looking at a goal and trying to work on the goal and not the past and still you'll do some you work mm -hmm. either way but I think it's, I really want to hit on the point of the importance that people like me, people like you, it makes a difference. Um, so my next question for you is thinking about earlier, how you spoke about manipulation. Mm -hmm. and I thought that was a really unique point that you talked about people pleasing being a manipulation. Yeah. Um, because it is, because I can think the times that like, I fixed, and I think with my kids, because I have two, I have two children. And I think about the times where I fix things for them, so in essence, that my husband won't get upset about it, you know, and try mm -hmm. to. But I also think about my childhood. My mother did that as well, you know, to avoid because we don't want conflict. We don't want to be uncomfortable. Yeah. So talk about that, about how either side of the coin on manipulation. How is it how we don't want to feel uncomfortable, and mm -hmm. what is the value of actually getting uncomfortable? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> um, every everyone has a flavor of it. Like, even if you don't identify as a people pleaser, and even if you don't identify as someone who's like aggressive or like a powerful jerk, like everyone is manipulative in in some way. And it's interesting to you because it's sort of a loaded word. Like, um, you know, I think that 
uh, when people think about manipulation, it's it comes along with this sense of like, oh, well, it's really intentional and it's really well thought out and it's planned. It's a planned manipulation, but it's not. It's just an unintentional. It's just unintentional. You are unintentionally manipulating people um, by not being real and authentic and honest. And I totally get why. I mean, I get it, right? Like everyone is really terrified that everyone is going to find out that there is something wrong with them. And everyone has these exact same fears. Literally every person has the exact same fear that there's something wrong with me or there's something different about me or I'm too much or I'm not enough or I'm I'm unlovable or I don't trust myself or like whatever it is. Everyone is terrified that everyone is going to find out these deep, dark secrets, you know, about them. Mm-hmm. And the importance of getting uncomfortable is that it is the only way to move through that. It is the only way. And the interesting part is that just given like the society that we live in now, the uh, prevailing way to deal with those insecurities is to perform on top of them. And so, you know, we have these, we have these uh, uh, deep seated insecurities and beliefs. Like one of my deep seated fears is that I'm an unlovable person. Mm -hmm. It's a very deep seated fear for me. And so the people pleasing and the performance and the me being super smiley and being like really nice and like bending over backwards for other people, like all of that is a performance to distract from the fact that I am terrified that you're going to realize that I'm just unlovable and you don't actually love me. But all the performance just gets in the way of actually having the real conversation. And over time, the performance becomes more comfortable even though it's not, it becomes more comfortable than actually taking a look at addressing the insecurity head on and healing it. Um, and I think that's where most people find themselves is they're, they know their performance. They know how they avoid talking about their insecurities and the things that they're afraid of and scared of. And even though it's not great, even though they're like, I'm really anxious all the time and I don't have the relationships that I want and I don't have the job that I want, it's still more comfortable than doing the inner work and addressing those insecurities and fears because at least it's known. You're comfortable with it because you know it. You know how it goes. You know you're people-pleasing. And when you look at doing the inner work to face the insecurities, you're like, I don't know how that's going to go. You might actually have to change. Like you might actually have to like tell that person you're a jerk and I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. And that is so terrifying to people that they would rather continue. And I, again, I totally get it. I do the, I do the same thing, but they would rather stay in that uh, relationship uh, and, and stay in the uh, comfortable performance than, you know, do the uncomfortable thing. Oh, and I don't think you actually know any bit of my story, but that actually sums it up beautifully. <laughs> um, so I put that on, I put that mask on. That mask so much got me into depression, where it just let's keep covering it up, covering it up, and how our bodies are not designed to continue to cover it up. It eventually will crash. And many of the viewers know a little bit about my story about how I had my child out of wedlock, and it was that deep seated fear. And it took years for me to realize it was all from a lack of love that I didn't love yeah. myself. And I never had forgiven myself for some actions in the past that it just brewed and brewed until that moment. And that was a life changing time for me. And a lot of people, I feel like if they don't go through a tragedy or something, sometimes they don't want to do the you work. 
I had to because my life was totally flipped on side being a single mom. And I'm like, I got to I got to do something, you know, and my family was very supportive of me to continue learning and growing. So how can we help people? And I guess that's why I have such a passion for it as well, because I feel like yeah. it's all a tragedy that people wait yeah. for a life crisis yep. or what I now call a midlife awakening or yep. they come to a tragedy before they're like, Okay, I gotta change, you know, and it's for a preventative person, it's just like, ah! so, and I know yeah. we're just talking about powerfully kind, but I can see how it has affected me. And if, if I just learned about this a little bit earlier in life, so. Yeah, I love the, yeah, so the question, like, how, like, how do we make a difference? It's like, how, like, how do we actually make a difference for people? Um, and I think it's, it's, this is the crazy part is people get stuck in limbo because they are just uncomfortably uncomfortable enough not to do anything. And that's where most people, like, that's the crazy part is like, that's where most people live the entirety of their life is like in this six or seven out of 10 place where they're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Like things are fine. There's nothing that's like horrible. And so sometimes it's actually like a blessing in disguise to have something really terrible happen because it actually, it actually wakes you up and you go, holy crap. Like this is, I don't want to be doing this, but you know, I want to be doing something else. Um, and so as far as like making a difference, I think there's a couple things that come to, to mind for me. Um, one is, uh, continuing to, for me, continuing to do this kind of work and talk about these things. Um, because the thing that really drives me is how do I take these concepts and how do I create content and frameworks and books and speeches and courses and all this kind of stuff that when people are ready to hear it and when they're ready to learn, they can go out and find this information and get this information. Um, I also hope that, you know, in me sharing something in a particular way that it inspires someone to go, oh, like that's that, oh, that's me. And, and to think differently, you know, about, about how they live their life. But I think that the most powerful thing that we can do is do our own work. <laughs> That's the, sincerely, that is the most powerful thing that you can do for, for other people is to do your own work. Because what ends up happening is you lead by example and you lead by sharing vulnerably and you lead by being willing to go out on a branch for other people in service of them, to tell them that thing that no one else is gonna tell them and doing it from a place of love. Like that's what I do as a coach. All, that's my job. Like my job is to tell people things lovingly that no one else is going to tell them about how they're getting in their own way and about how they're not getting what they want and about, you know, all these patterns uh, that are keeping them from actually creating the experience of life that they want to have. Um, Marianne Williamson has a beautiful, beautiful quote, and I'm totally going to butcher it. Um, but one of the, it's um, the, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate, but that we are powerful beyond measure. And one of the later parts of that quote is she talks about um, as we, uh, oh man, I'm totally going to butcher this. As we uh, create more authenticity for ourselves or whatever it is, we uh, basically give other people permission to do the same. As we liberate ourselves from our fears, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same because that's what everybody's looking for. Um, and so for me, when I think about doing that work, it's like, how do I be that example out in the world and everyone that I come into contact with? Um, see how I'm doing my own inner work and how I can be powerful and kind at the same time and hopefully feel inspired to, you know, start their own journey towards that thing. And that's the thing. It's you're a catalyst for change. And I want to say you are. And the way you speak, the way you have passion, the way that you love, 
is such a catalyst for change. So I am beyond grateful for you for even coming on the show and, and just talking about being powerfully kind. So I guess my, my final last words um, I will ask you in question is, what would you tell somebody that keeps apologizing for people pleasing or, or for being powerful or being kind and not coming together? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I think, you know, similar to what I said earlier, the, the path forward in terms of growth is it always starts with recognition and awareness. Um, and so I think the thing that I would offer people who are, uh, saying sorry a lot or apologizing a lot, one is just notice how often you do it. Um, and this is something I point out to members of my family all the time when I'm home with them. I'll literally like, you just said sorry, or like, you just said sorry right there, or you just apologized or whatever. And even just like being cognizant of it is like, oh my God, I do that all the time. And then the second part of it is asking yourself, why? Why are you sorry? Why? Like, what is, what's actually driving you, uh, driving your need to apologize? And most often what you'll find it's for taking up space. People apologize for taking up space and like existing. Uh, and that in and of itself, there's a lot, even just sitting with that question, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot in there to be taken away. I love it. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for everybody that watched it. I know they had to get something from it because I did so many key takeaways of just being powerfully kind together for love, for humanity and for yourself. And totally. it can really make a difference. So thank you so much, Hayden, for joining us. And thank you for all that watched. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.